Welcome everybody to the 20-minute warning where we talk all things nerdship. We are your hosts, Arkin, JG, and Ragnus. Say what's up, you two. Yo, how's it going? Now, I, I do apologize. We have not been on for uh, quite a minute. You know, life definitely has its, you know, moments. But we are back and we're trying to get back to the content to help entertain the, the rest of you. So, before we get started, I actually had conversation. Not, not conversation. I had a topic that I wanted to bring up to both of you. Have you both heard about the new release of Dragon Ball Daima? God. You're already deciding to make me choose violence. <laughs> Just now. Because already. The majority of us were looking forward to the release of the newest um arc for Dragon Ball Super. But instead, at the New York Comic Con they released a trailer for Dragon Ball Daima. And for those who don't know about it, Daima, as it appears, will be almost like another variation of GT in a way, in the sense that for some reason, the Dragon Balls get used and not go just Goku this time, but everybody gets turned into children, even the Supreme Kai. <laughs> And we don't really know much of who these antagonists will be or like like who they might be fighting, what the reasoning behind it or blah, blah, blah. All I know is we're seeing the power pole come back. But some are speculating that this might be um, Dragon Ball's way of redoing Super Saiyan 4. You know, I mean, a lot of this is new information to me. But I'm, I would be somewhat optimistic about the idea for two reasons. One, because of the type of property Dragon Ball is, I'm guessing it's not going to be exactly a kid show. Probably like GT. Like there's like there was like period of time at the beginning where they kept doing like kind of like pseudo kid hijinks, but not really. And then they got to the more um. Dragon Ball stuff, but then also because of how GT went in the reception, they have to be aware of that. So for them to go back to the same well, this must mean they have a great idea that they think is going to be working basically from episode one. Because if episode one drops and it sucks or it's everything we everyone hoped it wasn't, um, that's not going to be good for the stock price. That's 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 not that won't be very. The only glimmer of hope I have for whatever the hell this is is that it's being taken care of entirely by Akira Toriyama. Actually, it, uh, it is. Like, he does have a major hand in action. Apparently, he's responsible for the storyline and the art. Yes, which does hold promise. I will say that. However, it's still has me a little shaken. Uh, why couldn't we just get a continuation of Super? Why? Even if we didn't get a continuation which I think we all know Super is. Especially with how how heated things are getting in the manga. There's no way Super's not coming back. Like, we all know it's coming back. But, um, for the time being, excluding Dragon Ball heroes, um, even if we they had to bring another Dragon Ball variation, I would have preferred a story focusing on just like maybe Goten and Trunks. Or that would be cool. Th that that would be cool. Like even if it's not the kid version of them, maybe it's just like an alternate timeline where like they're older now, and maybe you know the main fighters like Goku and Vegeta aren't around. Maybe Gohan's still there. Incidentally, I think the worst thing I think. The one thing that they would want to avoid, and one of the worst things that can happen to the Dragon Ball property, is if is if this comes out and it's better than either Super or even Z itself. I think it has. Best case scenario is it's all right. If it, I was more afraid of more ass pull power ups. 
Well, cause I well I feel like because of the type <laughs> thing is probably gonna be pretty story focused. So like that is situation. Yeah, because the situation with all turn the kids, it has to be more story focused. Because right. with how far they've come in Super and Z, like this, you can't afford to come up with a power amp unless you are bringing back like. Super Saiyan 4 to wish, depending on how they handle it. I'm not gonna hold you. I will be hyped. <laughs> I, I will be so happy and I will love that. But if they're not going that route, like it's just gonna have to be story focused. And it's gonna have to be just more focused on just a journey and with some action. Which I mean for I feel like for a lot of Dragon Ball fans, that that's definitely uncharted territory for the franchise specifically because I agree I, I feel like for me specifically at least my perspective you someone watching Dragon Ball for the for the story is like reading the Incredible Hulk and don't want him to smash something <laughs> like that don't make sense so I really do hope that and I know what I said that <laughs> it works and it goes relatively smoothly and actually is better than we all anticipate. Because if not, uh, oh, the backlash of that. That's why I think it's best if it, if it stays in the middle. Yeah, imagine, imagine if this story focus, right? It's the story focus, because that's really, that's really always been the pushback, right? That's when, whenever we talk about DBZ and his place in the hierarchy and it versus things like Naruto, you know, someone who wants to, who wants to be against Dragon Ball will always be like, Plot here, plot that, plot that. Imagine if this is plot focused and they just kill it. It's just, it's, it's beautiful. It's everything that we that that, that that we ever talk trash about. It's just, it's just, it's great. Well, where does that then put the rest of the property in context? Because now this is what it could have been. Now we're seeing what it could be. I think a lot of what defends Dragon Ball's place is that it's popular. It's made all this money, but then it's also all there is there's no there's no there's uh, um is that there's this to show what, it, what what this could be there's no there's this flawless property to compare it to it would just be it showing what it could be and i think that that would actually probably be a, a net negative to the legacy of dragon ball it, it could be that it also just could be a way of just incorporating more people to where the because, like, originally Dragon Ball was primarily aimed towards, you know, kiddos. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, let's, um, let's talk more fight. And for a lot of those dra uh, diehard Dragon Ball fans, or even people who are still getting into Dragon Ball, but just love the action, you know, the, the originals or Kai or Super is still up their alley. Whereas if you bring in this new iteration and like it just knocks it out of the ballpark with the perfect balance of story action drama blah blah blah, blah. then you create a scenario where you incorporate more people who originally are like man screw dragon ball fuck that I don't, dragon ball sucks but now they watch this one um anime variant of it and they're like you know what i hate dragon ball except that one that one's good <laughs> so it might create more of a clash between uh the community but also by grabbing more people we'll just have to see how it goes yeah. oh yeah. if it's anything like gt i'm going to formally give up on dragon ball i'm just gonna i'm just gonna give up i'm gonna pull a full Vegito when Goku dies, I'm just gonna lose my will to fight. <laughs> like, yeah. fight for life, or? No, just fighting to enjoy Dragon Ball as much as I can. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Ow, I ain't dying over an anime series. You got me fucked up. But... <laughs> True. But... Um, your your rage is actually one of the topics that we will be discussing. Not yours specifically, but just rage in general. So, I have two topics um, that are on standby for us to discuss. 
The first one being, which I'm pretty sure you guys will find very interesting, is God of War. And I want to I want to specifically focus on the perspective of masculinity and like the journey into manhood. Like I want to focus on like the relationship between like a boy and his father or just being a kid and then growing up into becoming what we would consider a man. And then the interesting subject. I'll say the I'll say this topic is going to be speaking of Dragon Ball. It's going to be between Naruto and Dragon Ball, the genesis of modern shonen, or maybe, maybe that's how it goes to something else, to a different anime. What anime? We'll have to discuss. So, for now, I hope you guys do enjoy, and let's jump into it. And remember, you've been warned. Now then, I was trying to decide which one which topics to go with first, but I said God of War first, so we'll go with this one. Plus, it's, I feel like it's going to be the most interesting to discuss. So, starting off, um, let's start off with Ragnus. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, based off of God of War, and specifically... Um, the PS4 variants, God of War and God of War Ragnarok. Um, how do you think they handled that relationship when dealing with father and son as well as just masculinity in general? Well, I would say in the first game, it would have been involved a lot of old ways slash toxic masculinity. You know, close your heart to it. Um... Don't get attached, you know, things of that nature. Kill or be killed kind of thing. He was trying to teach him the old Spartan ways, which were swift, brutal, efficient in times of war, like the Spartans were. They were pretty much the ultimate warriors. And as the storyline progresses under Ragnarok... We get to see the evolution of masculine of Kratos' masculinity, where it's true masculinity. Like he's learned to adopt, to accept, to attach things, to be emotionally involved in a lot of things, to be open and let people know what's on his mind rather than closing everything out. Especially when it came to Atreus. He even apologized and sometimes for kind of being the way he is and going with the whole phrase that he ran with the entire the entirety of the game we must do better we must be better and he tried to pass that lesson on to Thor and I would have believed Thor would have gotten it personally after he kind of realized what was going on oh absolutely like he was kind of getting it before uh or Odin gave it to him. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. honestly, even before Kratos was trying to, you know, no pun intended, beat that into him, <laughs> um, even Atreus in his own way was getting to him. Like, even Atreus was helping him to, um, trying to help him find his own path and be better in his own way. Up until, again, Odin. Like, Thor and Thor in Ragnarok was the same as Kratos was in the original God of War. Very macho, very powerful. All about hiding all of your emotions and being proud of your strength, being proud of being a destroyer, even though you really, really fucking hate yourself. He had a whole lot of hatred, he had a whole lot of hurt, but he had no way of expressing it because he didn't know how. And all he was was Odin's sword, essentially. And I'm so glad that you made that connection. Because that's actually something that I really thought about. And I really love how they handled that. Because they really made Thor almost like a personal reflection of Kratos himself. Like, sure, there are reasonings behind why they do what they do. 
why they became their own gods of war. But at the end of the day, when you looked at Thor, he almost was exactly of what Kratos was back when he was still roaming around in Greece. Huh? He was a just a guy who was really who's only who felt like his only purpose was to kill things. And it wasn't out of revenge, it was out of pride and out of command and honor because he had no he had no other way of handling anything. Something's in your way, smash it. Doesn't make it doesn't matter. I think there's one important distinction between the two though. I think I think something important that separates them as kinda of like foils is that Kratos when he when he's doing it, part of what makes it hard for him to undo the uh, what, what, you know, what's stuck in his head is that his level of responsibility that he had he was the leader of people a lot of the, you know a lot of the reason why he um why he makes the deal in the first place in the first game is because he he he's seeing all his people go to him i mean dying on the battlefield i mean not the worst thing that can happen to you but then well, that's you know that's the thing that can happen to you at the park <laughs> Right, it's not exactly the thing he wants to happen. Because what I, what I, what I, what I meant, but yeah, I mean, this he, he, he would, he would, and you know, but then he's like, oh wait, but we're like losing very badly, and um, Spartans don't lose, <laughs> right? So that the level of responsibility is a lot of times what pushes them on, and it's kind of what becomes the reason why he continues to do violent acts, especially in the last couple of games. Is he's he feels responsible for you know the people who he's killed. He's feels responsible for his son and protecting the people on him. This is the reason why him and Freya fall out because he he feels responsible for for her safety and um you know that's just that that becomes a I think the primary crux his um him separating the need to protect people and how he can do it with diplomacy and attempting them to be you know. Moderate is he tries to talk to Balder way more than I ever would talk to Balder. Me and Balder, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have told anyone. The whole premise of Kratos in the two newest games is I just want to be left alone, leave me the hell alone. That's all I want. Like, and they just refuse to leave him alone. If a man posts up on my doorstep talking about some, oh. So you so you think you're him? No, I think I'm about to have dinner. Can you leave me alone? <laughs> and they're like, no, nah, nah, you're him. Yo, you're definitely him. Nah, I'm, I, I, either you're going to kill me, I'm going to kill you. Like, bro, what? And like, as soon as like, yeah, I'm going to need I'm just going to hit him. Like, I'm just like, no, no, no. At, at this point, no, 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 no. now it's life or death. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and after they done fought like twice and Freya then try to help Balder beat him, He's still talking, and he's like, this is not the way. He still has more dialogue for him. And then, like, he saves Freya, and Freya is mad at him. And even then, even... And this is this is, this is where he became a, a way better man than I ever could be. Like, he finds out Freya is trying to jump him for saving her life, and he's just like, I will not fight you. And he allows her to, to, to almost kill him, and then protects her. From his son, it just, I was like, man, this man right here, uh, he's been married for real. Like, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. Like, Freya, like, now, when she said, I'm not going to harm you, you're my son, I still love you. And then Ball was like, okay. And then proceeded to choke her out. Like, I, I would have stepped in and be like, no, 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 you're not killing her. You're absolutely not killing her. I'm not just going to let this happen. And now, now, if I did take out Boulder... And then Freya gets upset about it, and now, for God knows how long at this point, years now, because Atreo, you know, grew up, <laughs> right. and Freya has been nonstop been trying to kill us. Well, kill, kill me. <laughs> um, years would not have gone by. Like <laughs> it, it would not be years of trying to avoid this woman, get her to not kill me. No. Absolutely not. 
it would have been a three, I think it was only like two years. It would have been a three strike rule. Like <laughs> first time I killed your son. I'm sorry. That is your front front uh, yeah, is your like flesh and blood. I'm sorry about that. Listen, I cannot be sorry enough. The second time, okay. I said I'm sorry. He was trying to kill you. You did nothing. Well, at the moment, nothing wrong. You tried to redeem yourself. <laughs> and now you're trying to kill me for honestly your mistakes. All right, bet. <laughs> third time all right you gotta go <laughs> like there would have been years or months or weeks of this like third time it happened nah Treyas, that go in the house you don't need to watch this <laughs> and don't forget she aired out this man dirty laundry like when they happened she was like uh, like you're just an animal does he know of his like i was like what does he have to do with the, with the situation? You just want to hand this man out for no reason. Like, he, did, he took that on the chin pretty well. He turns around and Tracy's like, yes, all those things have been done. <laughs> it's, it's humbling. All right. All right. So, GG, go ahead and hit me with, with your perspective. Okay. The the modern phrase thing was 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 was, was, was I think a big part of the the thing. The other, you know, he kind of he kind of starts off with the um, starts off as a man obsessed with strength, right? And then he realizes his folly and how destructive the desire can be. Then he uses the strength to topple the strong and defend the weak. Although his thirst for revenge wasn't quite gone, and then you know, then he becomes an old man. And it's at this point where I think a lot of this before this. It's kind of an undertone, and you can tell that you know whoever the screenwriter's opinion is is a bad opinion. But you know they're still getting a little more, um, a little more deep with it after that. Um, Baldwin and Freya is one half of that story. I think the other half of the story, because I I feel like the the wife one was a little you know, I it didn't it didn't it, that one didn't didn't resonate with me quite as much. His son though, his son wants to be strong and independent. But his son certainly isn't ready for the responsibility quite yet. He's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's mistake prone. He's reckless. Uh, his testosterone is filling his thoughts. He found out about his god roots, and he 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 uh he just started uh, dropping boys off. He uh when he, when they when they fight the Norse brothers, uh, Magni and Modi. Magni and Modi. Yeah, Thor's kids. And he and he just like he just drops old boy off, and he's like. Yeah, I could do that with God. I mean, what's, what's the problem? I was like, who? Let's get started. He might need to reconsider his, uh, his, his uh, approach with him. And yeah, I went way over his head on that. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I think that that's a really trying time for someone like Kratos because he doesn't want to be, you know, violent or really heavy-handed with Atreus, but as Atreus, because he's so powerful and he's so in demand because he's so powerful and everyone knows it, there's a level of um, a level of belligerence and almost aggression that Atreus is showing towards him. And we all know how Kratos used to react to aggression. Not very well. So, like, you know, as, as he continues to kind of test his gangster, like, the fact that Kratos, after he kind of, you know, kind of blows top a little bit, and he has time to base time to sit on it. He gives him a rope. And I think that's a big point because one thing that Kratos had always believed is that the crux of safety is putting control in his hands. He's been the general of an army, he's been the man of a family, and he spent most of his time alone. To him, as long as the control and the decision making power is in his hands, there is victory to be found in I mean, in his defense, it has been. He's done a lot of winning in his day. And to see him kind of be like, you know what, son, I know you're 15, but I'll believe in what you, in what you say and we'll kind of we'll kind of follow your lead was, um, it was it's kind of a little incredible, a little incredible, because I think that's that, that that's that's a big part where um where most 
most personality types, even you know, in, in even in you know masculinity to a large extent, kind of meets the uh, the toxic end. It becomes toxic when even femininity too becomes toxic when control becomes the desire. Not you know, and sometimes it's for good reasons, but you can't control everything, and you're not always going to be the right person for the job. And him, 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 kind of you know acknowledging that. Especially in someone like his son, who he's been protecting all the time, and who he's seen be goofy, is just you know, it was huge. Yeah, I gotta admit, when it came to that uh, that part when they were in hell and they turned Garm into well, they put Fenrir into Garm, and they kind of made up with that whole thing where. Kratos was going to be like way more open about a lot of things and strive to be a better father in general. I I, I was touched by that. I was like, God, this man, this man is still growing. Because um, honestly, when it comes to the idea and concept, that um that ideology can shift and turn depending on how you perceive it. And I know for like, for like me, like masculinity, at least growing up, it's always been like a form of strength. But as I got older, I realized that strength doesn't have to just be the physical or emotionally being able to tank negativity and whatnot. It could also be a way of surrendering oneself to ideas. Being able to be open and embrace various new perspectives and ideologies and be able to be like, yo, I, I have been wrong about something and I am apologize for it, trying to make right and do better by others. I love, sorry, I'm gonna, but you, 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 you mentioned about strength doesn't have to be physical strength. And I was just like, damn. You know, it's funny because I used to think that in terms of physical prowess, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like super strong, but I'm half decent, right? But mental fortitude, a little bit about me, if people don't know, I have had a multiple lifetimes of war. In terms of mental stress, grit, I've had to struggle. I've had to scratch and claw. And at no point in time, except maybe a handful, like one or two occasions where I've ever broke, right? And I, and I take pride in that because I believe that my strength is just grit like fortitude and I know we've got our own individual strengths that we're proud of but mine mine is being essentially like a pillar for most of people that I'm close to like I am the person you go to when you can't be strong I can be strong for you I can carry the weight yeah and and we all have our different views of like how we define strength and for like for me specifically like I pro I think what impresses me the most is not physicality, but more of the mentality. Like if you're able to mentally be able to withstand, um, not not only just how you handle negativity, but also how how you're able to embrace that said neg negativity. It's one thing to just block things off or even fight back to the negativity. It's another to embrace it and allow it to help basically strengthen you. Like, strengthen you. Yeah, I've learned that, like, a lot of people legitimately can't, or refuse or can't grow from adversity. Most of them like to hunker down and just wait for the storm to pass. Not anybody's willing to, like, stand out there and just yell at it to bring you on, you know? And one of the things that I've uh, noticed in regards to the game, I don't know if, like, if you guys noticed in particular, but have y'all, did you guys ever notice how... Kratos skin looked yeah it was less pale wasn't it exactly. it was more fleshy it was like he was letting go of the, of the ash that was attached supposedly cursed onto his body 
Exactly. And because for those who don't know much about God of War, one of the hallmarks of Kratos, um, you'll see him and you'll just think, who is this albino dude? Like, <laughs> like who is this like super white man? Like, what the hell is this shit? And it's like, no, like he's not, he wasn't born that way. <laughs> it was the fact of he had, he basically got tricked into offing his family in a fire and because of that yeah and and because of that he was cursed with the ashes of his family like their ashes like they got burned and their ashes basically got melted onto his flesh and that's why he looked as pale and white as he did I was like, yeah, in a flashback, that man had a good-ass tan. Like, this man was not afraid of the sun. No. But after the whole events of that raid on a th- on the uh, on Athens and killing everybody in Athena's temple, yeah, he looks like he, he was afraid of the sun. Like... I was going to say, he still looked pale, but it wasn't near as, like, blazingly white as it was before. Yeah, because, like, some parts of him had more pale places than others. Others seem more almost like his traditional skin color before all of this even began. And especially by the time we got to Ragnarok, it became even more clear. And... I just love that because that was just the, like that was almost like the developer's way of saying, "Hey, he has reached a point of maybe not, you know, tranquility." This Kratos, that, yeah, like, <laughs> this this man will never rest. Like he he hasn't reached you know, um, that point of happiness and enlightenment, peace. But he has gone through um, a bit of a spiritual journey. To the point where now he is basically accepting the things that's happened to him, what he's done, having remorse for it, and then trying to move on and better himself from it. And it's almost like um, the the ash that was placed on him is responding accordingly. It's it's like it knows that he's wanting and trying to be better, and. Yeah, you you see a lot of his personal growth, especially in the second game. Most of the time in the first game, he was like that stern dad that was trying to wheel his teenage kid on a on a leash, essentially, just like, "Hey, calm the fuck down. You need to stop." But on the second game, yeah, he's just like, "We we must be better. We have to be better. We have to grow and better ourselves for the betterment of everyone else." Including especially ourselves. Can't survive on solace. You have to rely on people. There are people you have to rely on in some cases. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. I want to focus more so on their relationship this time. Um, Let's start with uh, JG. <clears throat> on, on, on who and Kratos? Uh, Atreus and Kratos. So um, I want to focus a little more on that. Like... Let's discuss um, their relationship and how they both, how they better themselves. I think that a lot of the betterment between them comes from that, you know, the conflict I mentioned earlier, whether Atreus, as he comes to his own, is, is, is seeking more independence and Kratos is learning to temper his control because those two are antithetical of each other because, well, I mean, the more control he has, less independence he has, the more independence he has, less control, you know, Kratos status. And I think that that push and pull, controlling that and tempering that isn't just about Kratos having less control and Atreus having more independence. It's about knowing when one should take precedence over the other. It's about knowing where how much independence Atreus should have. Because, I mean, there are some things that are above him. There are some things that he won't be able to understand or won't be able to handle. 
and in his opinion, you know, Trey's opinion, he should be able to handle anything, and then he should be able to do exactly what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Um, that, especially once the um, once he once once he realizes his powers and he realizes his ability to uh, go places that other people can't. That that was um, that was one where he was just kind of flying on the handle for a bit, um, and I think it even you know it even manifests in his inability to control his uh, his, his transformations. He's uh, when he gets emotional, he does that, but he's not used to controlling his emotions. He's used to um, because Kratos had raised him to be self sufficient. He's not used to tempering himself. He's used to just inflicting. He's used to surviving. He's used to. Uh, always going for the for, for the win, so I mean, now it doesn't make him attack Kratos himself, but I think even the um, you know, I think I saw a little a little bit of um, the situation between Atreus, Kratos, and Freya is is a very interesting one. It's um, it's interesting to me because that's where we see Atreus kind of um kind of switch places with Kratos for a brief moment. It's where we see Atreus kind of lose control and go to exert himself violently to attempt to protect Kratos and Kratos be like, no, no, no. I'm I'm an independent force in the situation. I got this. And, you know, he he, he wrestles him down. He's like, calm down. He's like, calm down, calm down. He's still the, the parent situation, but they switch, um, they switch roles in, in, in a big way. And I think, honestly, that's part of the reason why, why, why Freya chills out because I think she looks at that and she's like, yes, I was taking my son. I took my son's independence for about 100 years. I took away his ability to control what happened to him and what was going to be his life. And I exerted my will and my desire over that for this entire period and drove my son crazy. She takes a little bit more, I think, accountability. And I think that's why she leaves them, well, leaves them alone. And then later on, you know, re rejoins up with them, gets over herself a bit. Those are my, my, my thoughts off the top of my head. Um, I definitely will say the dichotomy between Atreus and Kratos. Um, they really do hammer down on just how life is in general, even if you ignore all of the like all the fantasy, all the fictional stuff that's happening around them, all these various like entities and gods and whatnot, like it is still a relation between a father and son and their bond. And especially when you get to Ragnarok and now it's Basically, has puberty. I have to assume. Oh, I I fucking hope so. You don't look aggravated like that. You didn't pee. <laughs> it was mad crushing on Agravota. You can't tell me <laughs> both Agravota and what, what was um Thor's uh grand granddaughter? A Thrude. Thrude. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this man ain't careful. He's gonna have a fucking love triangle and Thrud will win like right but, but like and once you get to Ragnarok and you look at their relationship um just like um just like the relationship between a father and son by the time they hit puberty especially once they hit to like their teenage years like now they're they're testing boundaries now they're doing this now they're trying to find themselves and the father feels like they know all the answers but in reality they don't the son wants to know all the answers and feel like they know all the answers but he doesn't either and it gets to the point where eventually you're just gonna have to find a middle ground if that can even be achieved because you know some relationships don't get to that point and no <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh he show of hands. Who's estranged from their parents? Hey. Oh. We won't say that for now. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> but like it gets to the point where you start to wonder, um, whether or not 
Atreus and Kratos will be able to come back from this because there's already talk about prophecies of Atreus being the one that's going to kill Kratos. Like, and now Atreus is becoming more bold, outlandish. Like, he's he's trying to figure out do his own thing. And yes, you can tell there's good intent behind what he's doing and he's actually trying to help, but you don't know if that um, generosity and kindness is also what's leading him to a darker place. There's so much uncertainty, which their way of displaying it is through prophecy and whatnot. But it's still in its own unique way of reflection of a relationship between a father and a son. And then um, Kratos and Atreus find the means of overcoming this said fate. And they find a mutual ground where Kratos is willing to listen and learn from Atreus. Which we've never seen Kratos do that, period, with anybody. Ever. <laughs> to anybody. Period. Like, anybody. And, and now even... Although he did call it not to trust that tear. I gotta, I gotta just say, he called it. He, he, he called did. it not to trust tear. He did, but at the same time, you know, that, that wasn't tear, though. So, he was right, but he wasn't right. But he was right. <laughs> um, which, um, fun fact, by the way. Um, it has actually been hinted at by developers that we will legitimately see Tyr um, in a future installment. Because, as we know, Tyr did travel across various lands, both, um, both but not also including Greece and Egypt. So there is still the possibility that we will see Tyr in the future, more than likely in a different, you know, mythology, whether it be Egypt or, you know, Japanese or Chinese or Hindu or whatever. So, the next topic is Naruto or Dragon Ball, the genesis of modern shonen, or if you would argue if another anime could potentially take that spot. So, let's start things off with Okay. I would argue with modern shonen, I would say Dragon Ball. Like, 100%. It came out when even I was a kid, and I'm fucking ancient, so. Uh, <clears throat> but if we're going by, like, legitimate first ever shonen, like, the the genesis of shonen, like... If I recall, like, the first ever official shonen was Astro Boy back in, like, 1950. Really? Yeah. Astro Boy. Like, I, I, like Astro I, Boy is way, way... It was, Astro Boy is way, way older than people think it is. Like, as a manga, it hit the shelves all over around 1950. The U.S. started getting imports, and I believe, in 1952. There's a fun fact for you if you didn't know. But yeah, Astro Boy was a shonen is a shonen anime or was a shonen anime. I was like, was no, no one no one no one out there knows who Astro Boy is. Like <laughs> No. No. Like like I, I, I could say it's the gen the genesis of like, you know, anime as a whole, but like I would say neither I would say it isn't reminiscent of either neither modern nor uh because when, when I think of what modern shonen is, right? Shonen, in the, you know, indeed does mean young boy, but I think it, you know, really pertains to kind of that, I would say, 10 to 22 range is where a lot of it's concentrated for targeting. And if I were to answer the question, I'd probably say, um, I'd say a lot of what, we deem as proper action and fight choreography in the way that the that, that 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 the arcs are made and organized. You know, the big villains at the end, and that's the kind of the the, the way each arc circulates. And even the fact that it's in arcs and things of that nature, I think a lot of that yo do do all the Dragon Ball. But actually, I would like to throw another name in the hat. I think I think I think Carl already knows what name I'm gonna throw in the hat. But yep, I'm gonna throw it in there anyway. Good old Yu Hakusho was um, yeah yeah it, it it was the it was more popular during the during when when it and Dragon Ball was actually airing, and I think that 
I can see a lot of this DNA and things like Naruto, where we have kind of the um, rebellious, kind of punk-esque protagonist, and we kind of see his maturation as almost a, a coming-of-age story. When we see his journey, and we and it's a lot more plot-centric, and even the 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 fighting, it's almost plot-centric in of itself. It, it, you know, like, like I, when I see Naruto and I see Yu Yu Hakusho fights, that reminded me mo almost more so of, um, of wrestling, like WWE wrestling. And yeah. It's a very, it's, it's choreographed. It's meant to get a story, storytelling across. It's, um, you know, why things happen. There's always a, a reason why everything happens. It never happens because it's the coolest way and it's, the, and it's really flashy and it kills, but like, it's a reason in story. And I think that that will go on to define a lot of what we deem good shonen in the future. I think Dragon Ball gives us a lot of the visuals, like transformations, uh, the white, the wacky hairstyles, the really combat centric, uh, being being what shonen means. Um, right, hair colors. Right, and a lot of it, and a lot of whether or not it's 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 you know being a lot of. We deem a shonen as being as being really in the mainstream when it starts getting things like video games because I think that's really where Dragon Ball takes off. Dragon Ball takes off with it because it's it platforms on the games really easily because it's really fight centric, a lot of super moves and things of that nature, and it became so popular and kind of blew up with that video game boom that now your game ain't your your show ain't really made it until it's got a video game. When it's got a video game. Now it's now now it feels like somebody. I think that yeah, it's right. honestly, I I'm, I'm I think I'm kind of split between the both of you. Like, I would say, especially, um, especially now that I didn't even know or even consider Astro Boy to be, um, almost like revolutionizing Shonen. I would say, like... Just anime in general. I would anime say in, manga in general. Like, maybe laying the foundation of just, like, of how anime is as a whole, I would say Astro. But as far as just, like, shonen, especially, like, modern shonen, like, I would definitely say between Yu Yu Hakusho and Dragon Ball. Because... Um, like you, you like definitely like started off the whole wanting to like really, really, really wanted to do certain moves. Like people really like wanted to do the whole spirit gun so badly. <laughs> I'm no different. Not gonna lie. <laughs> I was a kid looking at the mirror with my finger gun going spit like handled tournament arc. And like going through various forms of stages of battle, and then even like bringing transformations and whatnot. Like even though the transformation wasn't nearly as iconic as Dragon Balls, um, it still hit and it still laid it, that foundation and paved the way. Whereas I will Dragon Ball definitely like defined other places that I would say. Like almost added to um what you you did once you got to Z. And then by that point, that's when a lot of people would say Dragon Ball just paved the way for, you know, bringing in like Naruto, One Piece, and Bleach. And then from there, now nowadays anime such as Jujutsu Taisen and My Hero Academia. Demon Slayer. Like, Demon Slayer, yeah. Like, I, I would say that I was shonen straight up, Yu Yu and Dragon Ball. Anime as a whole, I didn't even think about it, but like, shoot boy, I didn't even, I didn't even consider it an anime, which I, I, yeah. Look, I'm looking, thinking back on it now, of course it was an anime. <laughs> now, now I will I will I will see and I completely agree with with both y'all's perspectives, but I do want to argue that a couple of others that would help pave the way for modern shonen would be Fist of the North Star and Roni Kenshin. 
Oh, this is no star for having some of the first legitimate hardcore like choreographed attacks and special moves since it did, I think, come out either right before or, yeah, a little bit right before Yu Yu Hakusho and Dragon Ball. That and introducing this form of masculinity. Yes, the big beefy dudes, the Omaiwa you're already dead, you know. Now, <laughs> it's going to be over in an instant, and here's why. Like, And then, for in terms of Rurouni Kenshin, I'm thinking not much on the... The 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 fighting was great, but the storyline, the state, the story that it told of this, like this world class demonic samurai who just suddenly disappeared. Supposedly, it fell in battle, and instead, it's just this fucking goofball that decides to get serious every now and then. Like, you know, I think I think I'm offer some pushback. I think that I um. We talk about what an originator is. I think there's a difference between being the first to do something and actually, you know, influencing, right? Like Astro Boy. Astro Boy, for example, it's the first anime, right? But there's, if you look at Astro Boy, it, besides the fact that it's in fact animated, it bears no sort of resemblance to anything to come out in the past like 50 years. And that I mean, I think that 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 to me would disqualify it because then it it originates the medium, but it doesn't perpetuate any sort of any any sort of DNA except raw existence. And I would also say that I think that I think uh, I actually like that you brought up Rooney Kinchin. Um, I think that's that reminds me of something that I think that Yu Yu Hakusho does really well, and. I think it it brings out a protagonist that's relatable as opposed to, I guess the word would be, you know, larger than life. Like I think um, I forget what his name is, but the guy from Fist of the North Star and Goku, those are those are protagonists that are larger than life. They they come in, they beat the guy up. Why? Because they're stronger. Why they're stronger? In Goku's case, because he trains, and in the other guy's case, I can't can't remember. Um, I think that. The, um, when we talk about someone like Yusuke, he's a kid. He starts off as a kid. He grows, he, he, has, he has human limitations until, you know, he, until things happen, until the storyline dictates that he isn't, and it feels grounded. And I think that would go on to define what a lot of protagonists would be. You know, in the future, there's uh, there there's your Naruto's, there's your Luffy's, your Asta's. They're, they're never the big guy who is just stronger. They usually actually start off weaker than everybody else, and through and they're allowed to get power because they have something special about them. But they don't start off that way. And a lot of the stories you don't watch them grow, right? I mean, the age stories I think became become the thing. I think Yu Hakusho is what begins the coming of age, being the guiding force to Shonen. I regretted not seeing Fist of the North Star, but like all the way through, I only saw like a few episodes. But uh, God, now you want me to rewatch? Want to rewatch Yu Yu Hakusho again? There was one. There was one tournament article where he released his new Ultimate Attack, the Spirit Wave, and I think I'm losing my head over it because I'm thinking it's a fever dream, but it was in one of the. One of the tournament arcs. Ah, uh, what was the brother's name? The Tagoro Brothers? Yes. No, I... Oh, my God. I love it so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, the big... The big Arnold Schwarzenegger-looking dude with... But that wore sunglasses all, like, the entire time. Like, I swear he had to be, like... That had, like, the tournament involving him had to be my number one favorite of, of the entire anime. I would agree. I could definitely feel that. It. I think one of the things that that that, that really struck me about it is, like, people was just like, it felt it felt more serious because I've seen a lot of tournament arcs, because I've seen a lot of like, shonen anime, but watching like watching Hiei basically just completely barbecue some dude 
not, not he had put in a corner and he was like, I must kill you. Not he's the villain and he's, this is just how we know he's evil, like, like Gara or something like that. He was just like, nah, we just dropping boys off now. We just, this is just how we get down. And <laughs> he just awks him just off rip. And like, even watching it, how, 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 how it, everybody kind of was just like, yeah. And I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Uh, why would they not fight to the death? It's a tournament where we have superpowers, yet we have mortal bodies. Like, it made sense. And it made me kind of look back on other tournament arcs. And I was like, you know what? Probably, it's kind of weird that they, that, that, that they have such a punch-pulling kind of um, dynamic about them. No, because like but, now that I'm thinking about it, the way they handled that arc, um, and you Hakusho, now that I'm looking back to various other animes, how they had, you know, the World Martial Arts Tournament, the tuning exams, or like all these various forms of like basically tournaments. Yeah. And I'm comparing them, it's like, damn, you, you really did that thing. <laughs> you and the World Martial Arts Tournament, they, they kind of. I would still argue you you over the World Martial Arts Tournament. I would still argue. <laughs> <laughs> but like, damn, like, that shit was iconic. I think, I mean, I think in a discussion of, like, you know, what's the best martial arts tournament, I think we're, I think there's, Dragon Ball's a lot of them. So, you know, we, there's surely one of those, whichever one you would pick, would would probably be um, one of the ones that we that we posit. There's a dark tournament, and then there's the tuning exams. I think, I think those three tournaments is where like anime tournament that that that, that must be spoken about when we talk about the best one. Everything it's those three, and then it's someone someone in the distance. Um, I cut for the chunk the, the tuning exams a lot because. The fight between Rock Lee and Garner is, is still amongst my favorite anime fights, point blank, period. I will not argue with you on that. That was my one of my favorite fights in the entire series. Like, I, it, it, it's, it's, it's one of three times in anime in which I've, like, had a tear come to my eye. It, it, like, it broke, it broke my little heart. And then the... Um, Honestly, the fact that Garo won is is it still like randomly triggers me to this day. Barely, <laughs> barely won. I'm just like yo, he 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 had all that. It just I'm not gonna talk. He he broke Lee's body, but he did not break Lee's spirit. Seriously, <laughs> whipped out the secret weapon and everything. My favorite thing was when he was thinking I was gonna save this for Neji. I was like, he was gonna obliterate Neji with this. Yeah, I was like, no, for real. He would have killed his ass. That you didn't know, but he was humbled that day. No, for real. Like, that man got humbled and he didn't even get touched. <laughs> I still remember because in, in, in the fight, when he like drops the, uh, when, when he starts pulling out the gates and whatnot, Nettie's like, I can't follow into my eyes. And it was a, it's, it's at that point, the Nettie's like, he was just, well, he was just kind of, he was going to off me. Just, he looking fast to the whole round. Shit. He was intending to end this man's whole career. Like we saw, the, we saw him do the hidden lotus. Like, was, so what happens if you're not hard sand? Got for one, I just want to say, Gara just was, was straight cheap. I just want to start off by saying they said you couldn't use like you can't use third party tools, and you, later on they would say you can't use transformations because they put that rule on Naruto when he goes to the training exams in Shippuden. I just want to say he just straight cheated and nobody said nothing about it. But I agree. I mean, I have to. Man, I have to, wait, so. I have to believe since you know this is early Naruto. No one really, no one really knew up until later. I want to believe that I really do. In reality, I know at least two or three of them knew what was going on with Garasan. But. <clears throat> <laughs> Does the third how they sitting there watching it go down? Okay. See, now, now I'm getting triggered. Like, 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 like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, man, that fight pissed me off to know, man. I was like, Lee, you with the shit. I like you. You so cool. <laughs> breaks, <laughs> breaks his legs. <laughs> I still think you cool. God. 
<laughs> broke his leg, broke his arm, broken, broken so bad he had to have experimental surgery that didn't have a solid chance of him surviving. And then he made a full recovery and fought a grown ass man that could grow bones out of his body. Which that's still cool. one of my favorite fights. Drunken Fist versus Dance of a Lotus. Like I love Kimimaro so much. I plan to get his curse seal where it is on his body, on mine. And it's gonna hurt. <laughs> Cause that's on his manebrium. And if you don't know the manebrium is that little piece of bone right between your collarbones. Where a lot of thin skin is, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna be cool, but it's gonna hurt. Oh my... I liked his... I liked his abilities and Curse Steel versions better than I did Sasuke's, so... He almost... He gave... He, he made Gara. I, I swear he made Gara shit himself. He had to. From how close that bone javelin was to his eye. Well, yeah. <laughs> Guaranteed. Especially once we find out that Gara can't take pain worth shit. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> like, Sasuke exposed this man's whole spirit. He was, he was uh, he's in that crying in the shell and shit. I'm like, Yo, like, who's been sand cockering niggas in the forest? Like, that'll be it for today's episode of the 20 Minute Warning. We hope to see you in the next chaotic episode. And please do remember, you have been warned.